The following program is presented by Tracy Austin of New Mentality PC and Mental Edge Fitness Solutions. Hey, hey, this is Tracy Austin with Mental Fitness Matters. This show is designed to provide people with tips, strategies, and solutions to improve your mental fitness. This is Mental Fitness Matters. Hey, hey, good morning. You may recognize my face and my voice. I'm Erica Singleton, the Director of Communications for Professionals Beyond the Game. And it is the third Thursday of the month. That means we're here for the Shine Bright Athlete Series. But you also may notice that I'm not Tracy, and Tracy is not here. Our fabulous host, uh, Tracy Alston, also just a fabulous being, is out there being fabulous somewhere. So I'm trying to bring her energy and still shine bright today. Today. I am so excited about this morning's guest. Meredith, I love you. I just want you to know that. Um, Meredith Dallaire, she is the founder of Running Works. Uh, there is so much that I could say about you. You founded Running Works in uh, April of 2012 um, with an idea and a borrowed room uh, at the Urban Ministry Center of Charlotte. Um, you're a former tennis player. Correct. Your mom. You're a cross-country coach. You have so much going on. You did so many endurance races. They called you the Iron Lady. Like You have so much strength, so much determination, and you are so very open. I'm so glad that you're here this morning. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I, uh, With Professionals Beyond the Game, when we first organi- uh, created the organization, you were one of the first people we reached out to uh, because I think you exemplify professional beyond the game in so many different ways, but also the struggles that athletes face that aren't just struggles that athletes face. So let's start from the beginning, shall we? Oh boy, we're going to begin <laughs> at the beginning. But <laughs> I only have to start. 25 minutes for us yes. to do it. So, um, Competitive tennis, when did you start? I started playing tournaments when I was eight because I was a really hyper child. And actually, that goes back to my mental health. My sister was playing and they needed something to do with me. So they just kind of threw me in the tournament as well. And I ended up winning the 12s. (laughs) And they were like, "Okay, maybe this kid can actually play because tennis is a skilled sport. And it's one of those sports that you you know early if you're going to be good and if you're going to be able to like take that to the next level. I mean, I know because my son played tennis for a while and then now he's a runner. Let's just put that that way. Okay. He's a division one cross country track and field runner. And, you know, I just loved it. Yeah, you know, I was already the one carrying all my sister's rackets on the court and going, how old are you? When I'd beat somebody and I'd have like six rackets and I only played with one, obviously, but it right. was like all about the intimidation factor. Um, so I started really young and that's typical with tennis. And then, you know, I was top 10 in the country by the time I was in my, you know, at like 14, 15, I was always very small. So, you know, and, and then I grew eventually, but um, it helped a lot to have that outlet because I can't imagine what I would have gotten into much, much earlier if I didn't have that discipline that comes with tennis or with sports in general. Yeah. The discipline absolutely does help, but it does open you up to a world of a number of different things. Um, Sports are fantastic to create uh, opportunities and to create focus and uh, to help people build confidence. But it is, uh, it's a double-edged sword sometimes. It is. And, you know, I, I ended up going on and getting a 
full ride to UCLA and played there for a year. And there's I, I bring that up only because there were so many mental health aspects on that team and the struggle I had coming from a kid who grew up in Memphis, Tennessee, with a school, a graduating class of 35 girls, all girls, and that's it. There were only 35 of us. And then all of a sudden I'm thrown into UCLA and I had done, you know, a lot of traveling by myself when I you know started traveling alone when I was 10 years old to mm-hmm. go out to California and play international tournaments. But it still was such an awakening. My coach was supposed to have left by the time I got there and we were supposed to have a new coach who was female and he ended up staying and he fostered this really toxic environment with all of us because we were all a bunch of prima donnas. I mean, everybody there was top five, top 10 in the country. Right. And he really wanted us to be at each other's throats. And it was just not an environment that I wanted for collegiate tennis. And out of a team of eight girls and we were top five in the country, uh, five of us left. Really? Yeah. I mean, it was it was huge. And I really struggled there. You know, like I was so far away from home. I felt like it was my fault that I was struggling. You know, I almost felt like, God, I got to get out of here. And I know for my mental health, this is best. But this was my dream school. Right. You know, Um, so it was really tough. And I ended up transferring to Vanderbilt and playing there and having the best coach. Like just so it was it was really a godsend that I got out of there. And my coach is still coaching. And, you know, I'm not a spring chicken. He's still at Vanderbilt and they've won a couple national championships. And I really I feel great about being a part of a program that built and that was cohesive and that I was the captain of and we loved each other. And that's why we won. Yeah. You talk um, you speak candidly about mental health and that didn't always happen in sports, but really talk about what happened to yours um, in sports and then what happened to your mental health outside of it. Yeah. And like I said, at UCLA, it wasn't something if we were struggling, we had to have a a team psychologist. That's how bad it was. Um, And if we were struggling, it was almost like we were, you know, there was something wrong with us, you know, that it wasn't okay to struggle. And then when I got to Vanderbilt, my coach, I still use things that he said to me. He's like, Meredith, don't sweat the small stuff. And it's all small stuff. You know, and I use that with the kids that I coach. (laughs) And he also, you know, I'm, I'm a hothead. And in tennis, you know, you got to keep it together, especially I was playing number one singles and doubles. And if I did something on the court, he had a buzzword for me. And it's now I realize it's like mindfulness. He would snap me out of it. You know, he was using mindfulness techniques in the 90s. Yeah. And he'd be like, demons. That was our word. (laughs) Demons. And I would literally snap right out of it. And I was like, yeah, he's right. I need to get it together. And I'm the example. You know, like, it's okay to struggle and it's okay to have mental health issues. But Meredith, like, there's a way to deal with it. Yeah. And and that has helped me tremendously with later in life going on to, you know, I finished playing tennis. I had a career ending injury with my shoulder. I got married 20 days after NCAAs and had kids really young. And, you know, I, I had two kids by the time I was late 25. And I really lost my way because my identity was so wrapped up in Meredith, the tennis player, Meredith, the academic, Meredith, the, you know, the hothead that. I all of a sudden was Watson's mom and Noah's mom and Walter's wife. And I still didn't have like, who's Meredith? Like, who am I outside of all of that? And sports had really, you know, as we talked about, the values accrued through sport is it's huge. It's the discipline, the confidence, the teamwork, the self-respect even and time management. And I had never had a childhood because I've been playing tennis since I was so young. I lost it. You know, I really did. And I had two children and I was like, 
I had like a latent adolescent phase and I had been so focused and disciplined before that I didn't realize that I have the addiction and alcoholism gene. You know, like I, it's a disease and it reared its ugly head. And I had to really take a hard look and start getting some therapy because I also, you know, we've talked about I had something really bad happen when I was 16. I was raped when I was 16. The sexual abuse went on for nine months in all varying degrees of forms. And I didn't tell anyone for 12 years. So what? I'm almost 28. I'm struggling. They, I finally end up in treatment. And they're like, did something happen to you? You know, the, 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 she pegged it immediately. And I had never talked about it. And it really flipped my lid to open that Pandora's box at first. And I had to struggle with how do I not be a victim? How do I not be a survivor? How do I be a thriver? Right, right. Sports is really fantastic. But so many of us find our identity We find our confidence, but we build our identity through sports so that when we do leave it, when we move on from college, when we semi-pro, professional, whatever point at which you have to move on to the next part of your life, you don't really know who you are. Mm -mm. I was a human doing, not a human being. I was really wanting you to discuss this. I just, and the first time I was in treatment and really got a deep dive into my mental health and my PTSD and the trauma, they would, you know, even in a group, in a small group, they would say, who are you? And I would say, I'm a tennis player. I'm an athlete. I'm a mom. I, they're like, no, that's that's what you do. Who's Meredith? Who are you? And I was like, I don't have any idea. You know, I really, I just had no idea. Um, and it took me, it, this did not happen overnight, right. you know, and I still struggle. And I think that's, that's something that why I love doing things like this, because it's okay to struggle. It's okay to have issues. The What I always say is, don't have the same issue you had last year. Yeah. You know, like, let's make some progress. Um, so that's, that's been a huge part of, I even have to call myself out on that. I'm like, okay, what, what's the month? Am I doing better than I did last year? Okay. You know, am I getting the help that I need? Am I taking care of myself? Cause I can't give away something I don't have. Um, very true. And, but you got to give it away in order to keep it. So yeah. it's, it's a, it's a conundrum. Again, it is. It really is. It's that catch 22 again. Mm-hmm. Um, So we talked about where you started in sports. Also talk about how you got into running and and what running means to you. Oh, gosh. Running saved my life. And, I, you know, I say in general, sports saved my life because in the early days it was tennis. And after the rape, you know, I was at the pinnacle of my tennis when all of that was going on. And I, you know, I didn't know how to deal with it. So I always say my first addiction was to perfection and you know nothing to see here don't look at me everything's fine I'm gonna play even better I'm gonna get a scholarship to Stanford I'm gonna you know like I'm gonna get straight A's I'm gonna be top five in my class you know like all this crazy stuff that was just this perfectionism that that's the worst form of self-abuse it really is perfectionism is the worst form of self-abuse and I was so addicted to not letting you see what was actually going on inside that you know, once I did start to struggle and they started helping me, you know, in treatment, I was like, I've, you know, I need that outlet of sports. I need the outlet of my my self-esteem is tied a lot to that. Mm -hmm. And I had broken my foot twice. This is a funny story. Actually, I had broken my foot twice with it. It was a Jones fracture. And the first doctor did not put a screw in it. And I broke it again within like six months. And I had been in a boot for four. Um, So, 
I was sitting on the couch and I was feeling sorry for myself and I had relapsed. And my husband at the time looked at me and he's like, you are the most motivated, driven person I know. Set a goal. Like do something like you can do whatever you want to do. The only thing you can't do is drink. That's it. Right. Which that sounds easy and it's not a quick fix. Anybody who's an alcoholic will tell you it's not like it's a choice. But I was like, okay, fine. I'm going to do an Ironman. And he's like, huh? I had a cast, like a hard cast on my foot, did not have a bike, didn't really swim. I could run, but, you know, this is a marathon at the end, and Ironman's a 2.4-mile swim, 112-mile bike, and a full marathon, and I'm sitting there with crutches and a cast like two days after my surgery. And I was like, no, I'm doing it. He's like, well, let's not get crazy here. I'm like, oh, you have poked the bear. You Challenge know? accepted. Yeah, you have poked the bear. And I went back to my doctor, Dr. Anderson at the time at Ortho Carolina, and he wrapped my my leg in Gore-Tex. My cast became Gore-Tex. I started dragging it like an anchor in the pool. I started riding a spin bike. I then bought a bike, went and registered for Ironman Florida because you had to be there in person. They were so crazy. There were so many, so many people that wanted to do it. And I did my first Ironman within a year of that, like a year and a couple months of that. And it was off to the races. I mean, I loved it. I was like, this is, this is what I've been looking for. I'd always wanted to do one. And then I, you know, within a span of three years, did 12 Ironmans and Ultraman, you know, which is two and a half times the Ironman. I started doing 100 mile runs and, you know, a 508 mile bicycle race twice and just crazy stuff that for my mental health, I loved choosing point to point races because it was like, a shedding of something. There was yeah. a catharsis to yep. it. I would feel like, here's my issues. I'm going to put them right here. And it's not that I'm putting them in a box because I've learned that I only have a daily reprieve from them. But I'm going to I'm gonna run to the next place. And it, I I found that it was really my call. Like, I love it. I, I didn't think I would ever be as good at anything as I was at tennis. And here I find this beautiful life that racing really lit me up and helped my mental health at the same time yeah that there's life after the thing that you thought was your life yes yeah that's that that is a common theme around former athletes and sometimes it's another sport so I originally loved basketball I played basketball my first love was swimming uh and then in my 30s I had been a um journalist for a number of different years and I found triathlon. Now, I've never been elite, but I found a community and again, I found myself again, the athlete who used to compete, who used to really enjoy it. So, Ironman is never going to happen. The members of <laughs> oh, my group do it. have always said it and we we always laugh at all the things that you say will never happen. Like, never is never so funny. Never say never. Yeah, never is so Ever. funny because I actually said I would never do another half marathon and I've done three now. But I'm telling you, the people I used to love to go out there at 17 hours to see who was finishing at 17 hours with iron. You would not believe the people that put their mind to that. And they're the real heroes. I'm like, this is amazing. Yeah. You know, there's people with no let. That's how I ended up originally starting Running Works is my crazy brain thought, I'm going to do three Ironmans in three consecutive weekends in Europe. France, Austria, and Switzerland. I'm dragging my bike around. I'm traveling by myself. I'm like, this is going to be great because, you know, it got to the point where they became sort of easy, which is how I ended up doing ultra because I was like, I got to do something even bigger, you know, which yeah. is how my brain goes. We talked about that. That once I do something, I'm like, okay, now what can I do next? Let's blow this up. Yeah. Let's, yeah. And so because I was getting some press for that, um, you know, Iron Man did articles. There was, you know, there, there was some good national press. I was like, I can actually help people with this. This is saving my life. It's keeping me busy. My recovery was the best it had ever been. And I was like, 
I can actually do something with this. And I raised money for the Challenge to Athletes Foundation. Another funny story, and this will be in my book, but um, in Austria, I was, you know, this was the second one of the three. I was swimming and I, you know, I'm like rabid trying to swim. To, I swim to get to my bike. That's what I say. Um, <laughs> I'm one of those. And I, I got caught up in something in the water and I'm like, oh, mad. And I'm like yanking at this thing. It was a tether to a blind person. Oh, no. And I'm like, oh, my God. So I stopped first. And it's, I'm in the current part of the swim. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. So. I get out of that and I get past and down the current and then I jump out of the water and I'm running to my bike and I knock somebody over and I realize it was a person that was on the nubs of their knees with no legs. And I'm like, I am an asshole. Like, honestly, like, what is wrong with me? I really need to check myself before I wreck myself. I mean, this is bad. And so I like help the person up and then the whole time on the bike, I'm like, I'm going to help the Challenged Athletes Foundation. So that's the genesis of Running Works, actually, was that originally within those three races that I did in Europe, people were betting on whether I was going to finish it or like, how fast is she going to do it? It was the first time anyone had ever done that three times, three weeks in a row. It was a record, especially for a female. And so I raised $60,000 by the end of the, the Ironmans. And I was like, okay. I've got some social capital here. Right. What else can I do? The Challenged Athletes Found, and I continue, I still support the Challenged Athletes Foundation. It's an amazing organization that is limbs for, you know, it's, prosthet- it's prosthetics for athletes. Right. And that, that was the genesis of, okay, if I can do that, and raise all this money, I have the passion to do something in my own community. Right. And it can be sports related because the values accrued through sport is exactly what people need, you know, any people. And I, you know, I was like, who do I have a real kinship with? And I feel like it's the homeless. And people look at me and they're like, that girl's never had a bad day in her life. What does she know about being homeless? And I get that a lot when I public speak or whatever. And it was that they're the overlooked people. Yep. They've asked for help, most likely. And that's what I felt like when I was younger. I asked for help multiple times in various ways, and nobody heard me. Mm-hmm. So I want them to be heard. Um, many of them have, most have the same issues I do, you know, trauma, sexual abuse, addiction, alcoholism, um, just feeling lost and, and not a real connection to family, even though I had a great family. But that's what I had. I had a great family, and my mom always told me I could accomplish anything. People are telling them every day that they can't do anything. Right. Like you're you're done. Your life is over. And so I really wanted to reach out into the community and know that I've struggled and my struggle has actually resulted in something positive and you can use your struggle for good. Yes. I there is so much that you and I have talked about that I want to try to get in. And I keep looking because I was like, how much more can I say? So you mentioned a number of different things in there. But one of the ones I really kind of want to address is that idea of people looking at you and deciding you don't have any clue. Oh. Um and we talked about what the hardest struggle is in, in general for someone who has had an addiction and is a parent. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about that as well. So, I mean, I... That's why I'm such an open book, because I feel like so many people hide in the dark and then they just struggle more in the dark and they don't ask for help. And asking for help is a strength. It's not a weakness. Vulnerability is true strength. You know, Mm -hmm. being able to be out there and say, hey, I've got this issue and it's not everybody else's fault. You know, like my one had a great therapist that said, Meredith, put your finger back in your pocket. 
And I always love that, like, stop point, you know, yeah. look inside, really dig deep. And there is such a stigma, especially being a mother, you know, who didn't get it all together. You know, I'm not a what they call a one chip wonder where, you know, I went into a 12 step program and never picked up again. Right. You know, my struggle is real. And that's the other kinship I feel with the homeless. Like they don't have anyone actually helping them. I had all this, you know, my privilege afforded me access to care. Yep. So that's what I want to give them, especially when, you know, they're they're ostracized from their families because of their addiction or you know there's moms that don't want to come forward because they think well people are going to think i'm a horrible mother who cares what they think you're going to get some help and you're going to become a better mother and it's a daily reprieve like i said you've got to work on it daily but it is possible that that idea that everybody thinks not only that everybody will look at me one way, but they'll also judge my kids because of me. Oh, yeah. Um, holds a lot of people back. And I've found the more open I am, the better people are with me. You know, I have parents that have sent their kids to me that are struggling with, you know, with addiction or kids on my team who have come and said, you know, my mom is really struggling with this. What do I do? What's the best way I can help? I'm like, there's really not a lot you can do if she's got to want it for herself. Um, and that's, you know, I can help you deal with the ramifications of that. And I can actually have you talk to one of my kids as well, which would be really helpful. Um, and we're really open about it on our team. My whole team knows my issues and I, and I think they feel comfortable coming to me, even when there's another kid who's struggling. They're like, you need to talk to this person. Um, you know, I'm known as my big role coaching. We have 81 kids this year is that I help with the mental aspect, yes. mental of the game, mental outside, mental dealing with, you know, because I also was really type A cubed when it came to, to grades. And I work at Charlotte Country Day and they're really a high functioning yes. bunch. Yes. Our team is amazing, but they also put a lot of pressure on themselves and i'm like look you've got to like bite off little pieces and not think everything's the end of the world yeah absolutely i it 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 means so much to have a coach that supports your mental health as well as your sport driven personality and also cares about your academics so before we go the last thing i really wanted to address is for someone who asked for help who held it all in how encouraging is it to see female athletes now really and athletes in general but I want to specifically focus on Mm -hmm. some of those female athletes who are addressing their mental health and don't really care what everybody else is telling them you know just suck it up one more time what you always get they are really just out there like I'm not okay Mm -hmm. and I'll come back to this when I'm okay you know I think of even Simone Biles she was a human doing she wasn't a human being until she's like guess what I'm not anymore and I'm going to stand up for myself and you know I know she got a lot of I can't I you know I was talking to my husband I was like can you imagine she knew the flack she was going to get and she's still Naomi Osaka as well they're like I'm going to stand up for me because you have to advocate for yourself if you don't advocate for yourself you can't rely on some Somebody else to do it for you and coming from a skilled sport when she said she had the twisties I know like if I had like a mental break sometimes my backhand would go out and I yeah. had no control over what was happening and it would be very rare but I can't imagine flipping around like she was and then thinking I don't know what's going to happen you right. know I could fall on my head good for her for being able to stand up and say Our culture needs to change. It's not a moment too soon. I mean, it really isn't. No, it's not. There's so much going on. So 
You need to advocate for yourself. You won't always have someone advocating for you, but you do advocate for others. So please let us know what kind of events, where, where can people find information about Running Works? How can they help? So Running Works on uh, Instagram is at Running Works. On Twitter, it's at Running running underscore works and then we're running works 12 on facebook and we you know we've really tried recently to get back to the roots of the program which is you know we've housed you know upwards of 60 people we've helped more than 5,000 people in the community but we want to get back to that root of you know how how is this person struggling and how can we be a community? Because I think anyone you interview from Running Works has been what we call our team member. They'll say it's a family. It's a team. People don't come volunteer just once. Um, even coming up, we have the um, Around the Crown 10K, which is great. It's the chairman of our board who puts on that race, Brian Mister. You can come out and volunteer with us. It's a huge race in the community. It's the one that started on 277. There's going to be thousands of people out there. We're one of the charitable beneficiaries. And it's not this weekend, but it's the Labor Day weekend. Labor Day weekend. On, on Sunday. Okay. And it's going to be an amazing race. You can find us at runningworks.org. And all the volunteer opportunities are on there. You know, you can mentor someone. You can... Um, come to a race and volunteer alongside them. Because like I said, we really encourage our people to give away what they don't have. And they all come and volunteer and then they run the race and then they're still at the line, which you've experienced. Yeah. Everybody stays to the very end, encouraging people to overcome their obstacles. And that's our homeless people doing that. It's homeless helping homeless sometimes. It's homeless helping people in the community. And they really feel a part of by doing that. Thank you so much, Meredith Delaire, for shining so bright today. Shine your light and join us again next Thursday on Mental Fitness Matters.